Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Matt Hers with FasterSkier.com. The Tour to Ski has launched with a tough start for U.S. favorite Jesse Diggins, but some nonetheless thrilling races in Switzerland. Devin and I have a full recap for you. We'll be back to you in a sec. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium Skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. We should just get right into it. I mean, tour to ski. And you, you know what? I, this is a public service announcement from, from this little podcast project. All we do is go off on fists about how shitty it is. If there's one thing that I can take my hat off and do a deep bow of thanks, the tour to ski as a concept is something that cross-country skiing, cross-country skiing needed so badly. And while it's been defanged, we can get back to that a little bit. I mean, it's not at all, it's almost unrecognizable compared to the earlier editions of the, of the tour to ski, but still there's some magic to it. There really is. And Val Mustaire, you know, low snow, not, not like the course wasn't holding up super, super great, but they were able to pull it off. And I don't know, I get excited for the tour every year. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, uh, I'm sensitive to being labeled as a negative person. I, I have a little trouble with the tour. I, I feel hey. like it was always kind of conceived as like bike racing has the tour de France. We need, we need the tour to ski, uh, for skiing because people are losing interest in skiing. <laughs> I just have a hard time getting really like absorbed into the drama of the overall. Like, I feel like Usually it's like, it's pretty well decided and like, it's not presented. I feel like it's not presented that well to me, um, like during, while the races are like playing out. And I feel like maybe that's, maybe that's like a media thing. Maybe that's like, you know, in America, like, you know, we're not necessarily presented with like coverage of the tour as like a really intense ongoing thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, for me, it's fun to watch the individual races, but it's it, it just like, I don't know, it doesn't quite do it for me. Also, like in an Olympic really? year or a World Championships year, when like, you know, it feels like people are also prioritizing other stuff or they have to balance that prioritization. I'm always like, I just feel like if I were an athlete in an Olympic year or a World Championships year, like maybe I would be thinking about it differently because I would need to make money. But like, I just feel like there's no chance I would do the tour to ski. Cause like people always get sick, they get tired, they get injured, like whatever. And it's just, it, to me, it doesn't seem like it should be the priority. So that's uh, I'll step down off my soapbox now. It's not no, I like it. I think, you know what I, no, I love this. This is great. Cause like I, of course, like being a middle-aged man of privilege as I am, <laughs> I don't know about privilege. I'm a, but uh, that was a joke for those that didn't catch that sarcasm. But, um, but that said, for me, I agree with what you're saying about a championship year. 
that that is but i want to i want to put a like a little like dog tag in that like a dog ear in that sorry or, or a bookmark and come back to that because i think we have a really fun battle shaping up on the men and the women actually for the overall world cup and the tour is just the alpha omega if you want to win the overall world cup you have to come to the tour and you have to deliver and fist definitely has weighted that heavily in the past it's a little less heavy this time around but you can't skip the tour and expect to win the, the overall world cup that's that's a given so so you do see some big names this year that are that are gunning it out but i agree there's some big names missing and this is like the growing pains of the tour to ski the earlier editions were like you had like nine stages lots of travel if you dropped out of the tour you lost 100 of your points so any points you gained there's like go to zero so people are racing i mean i've raced the tour to ski with like a fever like a vicious fever and like with influenza i shouldn't have been on the start line um as of teammates of mine a lot of people in the field i've, I've raced when they probably shouldn't just to kind of keep the points that they'd amassed like, you know i remember a year i i've been on the podium a couple times and like the thought of dropping out of the tour and losing those points being like second and third in races individual races in the tour it's like that's unheard of i'm not going to do it so i just kind of drag my carcass around and, and there's like negatives to that that of course like no doctor would condone that sort of behavior so this had to back back off that and as soon as they backed off that of course like you said you, you started seeing big names skip it and then there was like this curse man there was like this the curse of the tour to ski like you you don't race the tour to ski if you want to win an individual gold, it just, it just didn't happen, especially on the men's side of things for many, many years. And it was only recently that that, that finally got broken uh, by like the biggest names in our sport, but, but still like uh, we're talking like huge names back in the days that would win the tour, like Dario being one, <laughs> you know, or Petter. And um, yeah, they would win the tour to ski and they'd get to the championship and, and not come away with individual gold medals. And that's, a shocker. I mean, like Tobias Anger, when he won the overall world cup, the, the year he won the tour to ski in 2000, 2006, seven, the inaugural tour to ski, you know, in Sapporo, everyone thought he was just going to come and just crush everybody. And like no individual gold medal for, for Anger in the 2007 world championships in Sapporo. So it's interesting. You say you just don't get caught into the magic. Maybe it's because it was always just a high point of my racing career and all the years I did it. And I, I know I can really feel it like almost viscerally while I watch it, like, you know, like packing up, getting ready. And I've been on both ends. I mean, I've been like pack filled straight up, like a bag of hot garbage on fire, uh, racing like shit. And I've also been many years like fighting day in, day out, like, yeah, with a goal of, of being on the podium at, at the end, I never quite got there, been fourth once and seventh once. And, and I've had that year that I had a fever, I, I was, I was sitting fourth uh with the 20k in, in val de fiam or 30k i forget but anyway like the last classic race with like two sets of long underwear and a buff and it was like minus two but i was just shaking so the tour the, the overall just went up in smoke but i was fighting for the for the podium there so i don't know it just captivates me i i, I still like the story but i i, I understand you're a little i understand you're a little grumpy about it and because it, it is fair it's true it's like the tour de france really is a high point of cycling and you go through the whole country of France and those boring flat stages where nothing happens. You have these amazing commentators that are talking about the castles and the towns and like where they're going and like all the backstories of every single athlete. Like these commentators are just like outstandingly good. And for sure, we we don't have that in cross country. So you're like, what are you going to do? It's like, here we are on lap three 
of a 2.5 K still in Val Mustaire, a town of <laughs> 500 people with not much snow. Well, those corners are still icy. Uh, you, you just can't tell the same story as all the sunflowers and, and stuff. And I guess the one other thing I would add to is that um, I feel like in some years we get like really, really good drama for the overall. And then I also feel like in some years or in, in most years, it's like, I feel like one of the genders usually has a really good like battle and a really good drama. And then like, you know, the other gender, it's like, you know, I feel like you could almost say that uh, this was my question for you. Like, can we just stick a fork in the men's tour and say that, you know, Clybo is going to win because he just looks so completely unstoppable has won both, ra- you know, both races out of seven at this point, or, and maybe that's a good segue into, uh, you know, into the men's racing, but it's just like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it seems like Clybo is just going to like walk away with it. Whereas like, you know, the, the tour de France, it's like, you know, you have, I mean, and I guess you could say the same for Clybo, like, you know, the Norwegians like with missed the, the wax in a classic race. And like, yeah, I guess like he, you could, you could, that could totally blow things up. But like, you know, I feel like in the tour de France, like you can always have a mechanical, you can bonk, whatever. And yeah. it's so much longer that there's just like, uh, you know, there's a little more drama that's embedded in it, but um, for sure. Yeah. But I'll, 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 I'll take the bait right away with, with Clybo, like for sure he looks unstoppable and he, he, he was phenomenal this weekend in, in Val Mystere and, and just textbook. I mean, we're a broken record, you know, the guy like, but just to give like today, he tied the great Petter Nortug for world cup wins. Playbo's 26. He's not done winning. Like he, he's going to smack. He's going to just I mean, think about that. People that are listening. I don't know if there's like older people listening to this, like me <laughs> who raced against Petter, but Petter is larger than life. I mean, Petter Nortug was the rock star of cross country skiing. And, and yes, he has 15 individual gold medals or not individual, sorry, 15, 15 gold medals at worlds or Olympics to combine, which Claybo does not have at this point, but, but to, to equal his world cup win, prowess at 26 is, is outstanding is outrageous but i think there is i'm going to push back a little bit i think while he put on a clinic and he demoed everyone i'm i'm excited i i saw something in the men's race today this is gonna be kind of fun we'll jump around a little bit instead of just going our chronological order the, the men's 10k classic today kruger buddy like kruger's fourth and i'll tell you this right now if Klebo goes into the last hill with like a minute 10 down to Kruger, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Klebo is the best technician in cross-country skiing today or ever. No one has ever skied more beautiful than Johannes Klebo. No, not even close. That said, Alpshermis, a minute 10 down to Kruger. No, man, Kruger takes that. And, and he had a just put together just a stunning classic race to come back from that chase pack and just mow through guys like Scar. Scar had a great weekend all around. It was looking really good to pump out of that pack with uh, Novak and stuff in the closing kilometers. And, and Kruger blows through Scar and able torches him into the finish. Man, it's not over. This is not over for the overall. But, but that said, I do understand. And the other thing too, again, here comes that nostalgia, right? Like I've raced so many tour to skis and I've been in those tours where you had Petter Nortug winning like five stages and like unstoppable. But that last hill, it's a sideshow. It's ridiculous. It's barely cross-country ski racing. But there, there's some magic in the madness. And when you have guys like Kruger that you know can just 
level up, up that last climb, skiing so well, man, I, I, I'm not, I'm not ready to stick a fork in the men's race right now, but that said for sure. I mean, when you're, when you're watching like an all time great at the peak of his powers with a little bit of like blood on his teeth, like he wants some revenge and he got that revenge this weekend for sure. It looks like this thing is like, just stop watching, but I don't know. I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to give up. And then the women's of course, like, like you just said earlier, I mean, there's always, there's always a story in one of the genders in the tour every year. If, if you're a, a grumple stiltskin like you are with the tour to ski or like a real fanboy like me, there's always something in one of the genders and the women's have, has everything a cross country ski fan could want this year. And we'll get into that, of course. But um, yeah, so I'm not ready to write off the men's. Let, let, let's talk about the 10K classic for men right away. It's going to sound weird for people listening because they're going to be like, what? Like, it's a pursuit. You're not going to talk about the sprints. Like, we'll get to the sprint. But the 10K classic surprised me too because I've been also like a real grumple stiltskin Debbie Downer with, with men's ski racing this whole season, especially distance. It's like, oh my God, I can barely watch it. It's like, hey, it's beautiful skiing. Don't get me wrong. Like, it, it's gorgeous, but it's like just kind of predictable and boring. While a lot of the results were kind of predictable, we had 11, we had eight Norwegian men in the top 11 again, blah, blah, blah. I kind of liked it, man. Like 2.5K, yeah. 2.5K loop, the conditions were vicious. Like, we probably didn't get a good sense of how like icy and skied out and shitty those downhills are but i again i've been to mushter you're screaming down those hills and it's high altitude too so you're like you saw the, the like the face of some of the athletes like they're just shattered going into these fast downhills that are burned out and icy i don't know man i was kind of like loving the men's this is like the best men's distance race of the year for me yeah i mean i don't think um sorry you're dealing with me eating my no all good here. We know how heat bag. People know how heat bag this is. Like we, we. This is how we roll. So it. I was gonna. I mean, I agree. I don't think it. It didn't feel like um, eight Norwegians in the top ten or eleven. It. It really felt like totally wide open race, except for Clibo. And um, I guess we're talking about the men. And I mean, I feel like yeah. I mean, the women's race was the same way. Where I was a little. I don't remember my senses like. Does it, is the normal tour format to do pursuit start after the first sprint? Because just like, uh, it, it's like the time gaps are so small in, in this rate, these races today, which like, you know, you kind of have folks skiing at the front, but like, there's a real opportunity for folks to move like from the back up to the front. Like we saw that in the women's race race with like Niskanen. And then we saw that in the men's race with Goldberg, but like, yeah, it just, I mean, both, I, I felt like both of these races were really fun to watch too. Oh, for sure. And the men's was stick with the men's. Like, I, like, of course, Claybo Polona Clinic. I, I, people don't understand. Like, people that haven't been there don't understand how impressive it is to start first and just like never look back and make it look so gorgeous the whole way. Like, honestly, I, I, I mean, I have a lot of experience with cross country skiing. I saw the first lap. I'm like, oh, Claybo looks like he's kind of just like cruising and he's probably just going to let the pack catch him. And then you see those early splits and you're like, holy shit, like they're not gaining on him whatsoever. Like he, he, he looks like he's out for a Sunday cruise because he's, yeah, he's Michael Jordan in his prime of our sport. Like he's outstanding. And it, it's only 10K and guys are charging from the back. And the fact that he was able to hold everybody off like that was 
just outstanding cross country skiing. Paul Goldberg too, World Cup overall World Cup leader. We'll we'll talk about the sprint a little bit, but he kind of struggled in the sprint, man. Honestly, he looked shattered. But you got to remember, he had a cold. He had a head cold. He missed some racing. He hadn't raced for three weeks. Sometimes you just need one to like, yeah, it's not the same as doing like level three intervals and doing 25 25 hour weeks before the tour, like eating cheese fondue and stuff. Like he needed that effort. And today Goldberg's right back where he needed to be. He looked fantastic. He was skiing outstanding and put together like a super well-disciplined and solid race. The race of the day for me, for the men, Pellegrino, man. Pellegrino was the race of the day. Like this guy at 32 years old is doing something I never would have. I mean, it was the best distance race of his life. We, uh, that's a hands down. That's a hands down thing. He was skiing with Goldberg and yeah, he looked desperate a little late in the race, you know, but for three laps, he didn't look that desperate skiing behind one of the best classic skiers of the last 10 years. And Pellegrino is not one of the best classic distance skiers of the last 10 years. And he, he the guy's on fire. I mean, he's been doing it all year. He did it. I mean, it was basically from that first distance race or maybe second race in Ruka where, um, you know, he, he was on, on the podium, like in a distance race. And then, you know, you layer on top of that, the fact that, you know, his, his wife, Greta Laurent, like finally had a baby. I mean, he has like a, he's like living with a newborn baby in his house. Like, I don't even know how, like, it sounds like, you know, all, all is good, but like, you know, again, going back to what you said on our last podcast, like, showing that like you can still race at that level like you know you, you gotta assume that guy's waking up like a couple few times a night right now like it's just it's just awesome and you know that he he's doing it with like such kind of panache like i i've really loved watching him ski this year and to like have just like another guy who is is competitive at, at the top level of distance like that particularly with the russians gone like i i just feel like that's really it's really inspiring to me i mean i i could um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to make a Holly Brooks type, you know, Federico Pellegrino type transition myself in my, in my mid middle thirties, but, um, <laughs> you know, it is, it's yeah. just nice to see things get, uh, get mixed up like that. And for him to, you know, hang on to Goldberg when Goldberg like came through like that. And then those guys having that like super tight, um, sprint to the finish line. Oh, um, amazing. It's, yeah, it's been great to watch. Yeah, no, it was great. And like, I just like, it really, it, it blew my mind today. <laughs> Pellegrino. Like, I mean, it, it, it is, yeah. What, what a, that was the performance of the day. Kruger coming from 18th up to fourth. Like I said, we touched on that earlier. Getting, getting scar at the end like that is just impressive. Like Sindra too, man. Like I know Sindra pretty well and like, I'm so happy for him. This is like really, like Einstein, I tried to prime Einstein. He didn't want to go too deep into that last week, which is fair because he was like good buddies, but like, I w- I'm worried. I'm worried about Scar. Like, he was a friend of mine. And it's like, man, this is like a friend of mine. Like we know each other. He lived in Lillehammer for a number of years. So, um, and uh, I was worried for him. And then Bang puts together a great sprint to be back on the podium. And then like, what a beautiful classic race for Scar too. So these are the kind of things that I get excited about the Tour de Ski. Like Scar doesn't get many chances. He's had some chances this year. He squandered them. He has not delivered. And now there's like, there's a real like noose like hanging from the sky going like next stop like obscurity on the norwegian cup and he delivers a weekend like this at altitude amazing niang at you like i don't know if you're following how to create a race niang at niang started bib 42 same with um 
Holland, who can't sprint his way out of a paper bag, started bid 48. And they were just charging and drilling. They had like the two, I don't, you know how I feel about the fastest time of the day. It doesn't matter. It was how they were skiing in that pack, that chase pack. They were drilling it. I could not believe how fast they were back in the mix. And not just, again, like Holland, we expect. Holland, you know, he's just going to go right through everybody because he's got a VO2 of like 93, 94 or whatever. And he's just that, that he's got to use it, right? It's that altitude. He, he has a, not much time. But, but Niang, I was skiing amazingly well. Porama too, again, like, man, watching Porama, like when he's on and such a high hip position, I, I, people are probably like, you make a drinking game, you're loaded because I say it so many times with Porama. But like, the guy really knows how to deliver. And like, Novak too, man, Mikkel Novak, like awesome stuff from the Czech. I mean, he had such, put together a number of strong seasons. And this year started bad, let's be honest, for him. I expected a lot more of Novak. Uh, in period one, and he definitely did not deliver. And he he put together a fantastic, fantastic weekend of racing, and yeah. look great today too. Look great. That's the other thing I want to say. Like some of these guys, like especially Novak, right? Like he's right there. He's right there. He's right there. And then when Kruger jumps from that chase pack, it's like it, it looks like Novak stops, right? Because he's just like, oh my god, like Kruger's just put this much time into into Novak, like, boom, you blink and he's got five seconds on him. How did that happen? But no, man, it's, it's, he hung in there. He did not lose much time. So that it was a super, super exciting men's race. Ben Ogden. I know we had, I asked you to edit this out and we had to, cause I was came a little too hard on his technique. Now I'm going to try and tone it down and just say what I feel like. I feel like we may be witnessing technique. I'm not talking results, just technique. Therese Johag in 2007 was one of the worst classic skiers technically on the world cup or like in international skiing. She got a bronze medal at the world championships in the 30 K classic as a junior doing it in like <clears throat> the most vicious classic skiing maybe I've ever seen. Like it was just Well, not ever, but it wasn't good. And fast forward to the end of her career and she was the best technician on the women's side or one of, she was a beautiful classic skier, especially. Could we be seeing the same with Ben Ogden? Because he moves fast. Like, you know, the guy's 18th today. Skiing like that, just like, I don't even understand how this is possible. Like, I don't understand how he's able to, like, actually not just explode completely with his energy going every which way. Like, it's like, it's it's outrageous. So, uh, great race for, well, maybe not great race, but a solid race for Ben, I think. I think he he hung in there pretty good. And, and Antoine Sierra, Tony, man, like top 20, he was shaking his head at the end because he was right there. I don't know if you're following that too, but like 7.5K, like he was right in that chase group, like that that heavy hitter chase group with with the boys, like with Niskanen and those guys. And and like, yeah, he fell off in the last two and a half K, but hey, man, 20th in, the, in a World Cup to start the tour. This isn't at such high altitude, like that. it's rock'em, sock'em kind of conditions. Like I, there's nothing to shake your head at for, for either of those North Americans, I think. Yeah, no, I thought, and and I thought um, Ben Ogden, like, you know, I feel like it, especially you're at altitude, you're a young guy like that, probably pretty easy to like, just go out with this, like kind of lead or chase pack and completely blow yourself up. And I thought like, it, it looked like he skied like a disciplined race to kind of maintain the pace that like he could go and maintain for 10 kilometers. Um, I have two, I have two other things that I wanted to point out. Um, one is uh, Emil Everson, uh, 
like, man, that guy, I, 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 if I'm, if I am Norway's team management, so, uh, Emil Everson was 35th. I mean, and you look at the Norwegian starters, there are like 10 of them and they are like first, second, fourth, fifth, sixth, ninth, 10th, 11. And then Havard Mosby is like 24th. And then like Emil Everson is like, you know, just 30 seconds way back there in like 35th place. And, you know, we kind of all know that, that guy's been struggling for like year plus. And I'm, it's just like, if I were one of these guys that's like grinding on, on the like Norwegian cup or, or Opa cup or whatever. And I'm seeing like Emil Everson like still getting starts with like this kind of erratic performance. I've, I've got to be super pissed. And I, it's just like, you know, that guy, I imagine he's got to feel like, and should feel like he kind of has a knife to his throat to perform in the rest of the tour. The other thing I wanted to ask you about Devin is, um, I think I sent this to you. I'm sure you must have seen some stuff about this, but um, uh, Holland uh, before the tour during the break. And I read a little bit about this, like, I guess his partner and his kid got sick. So he has nothing to do. He can't go home and like hang out with them. So like, I guess he's just hanging out in a cabin in Shushan or something like that. And he goes and in two days, he skis 200 kilometers, like two consecutive days, I think of hundred K plus of skiing, like NRK wrote about it. And they were like, he said that, uh, you know, he was only planning to go for like four or five hours one day, but the skiing was good and he was bored. So like he kept going. So I have a good friend. I'm going to, I'm going to call him out, uh, on this podcast. Cause it's like, this is what podcasts are for. Um, my good buddy, Nick Crawford, who I went to college with, um, you know, 10, 15 years later, I, we still remember this and make fun of him because, there was like a day in December when we had like a three hour roller ski workout, um, you know, over distance workout. And um, we got to the end of the workout and we're like, you know, we drive vans out from our college and then we, you know, ski from the van, get back in the van, drive back to college. Nick was like, oh, yeah, three hours. Like it's not over distance for any for me anymore. I'm going to I'm going to ski home. Uh, and so he roller skied home. It, he was out for like I want to say four hours, 38 minutes in like December at like age 20, which like, and then, you know, at like, neither of us really distinguished ourselves in, on the uh, Eastern Intercollegiate Ski Association circuit. But, but I feel like this is like maybe the equivalent of that. And like Holland, you know, it seemed like he skied, you know, really well today, but I'm curious, like they, they NRK went to some experts who were kind of like kids don't try this at home. Like, yeah, maybe it's okay if you're Holland, but I'm, I'm kind of like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, even if you're Holland or even if you're Kruger, like skiing 200 K in two days is objectively dumb. Um, and I want to hear your take on that. Like, is it objectively dumb or is there some version of reality and some, some world cup level skiers for maybe that's legitimately not dumb. Here's what I'll say for sure. Kids don't try this at home. Um, objectively doing it two days in a row. I don't think you'll find any physiologist or, I mean, I'm not a physiologist, but uh, I'm elbows deep in physiology, though, human physiology, that I can promise you. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Two days in a row. It doesn't. One day, on the other hand, it actually kind of does make sense. And here's why. Holland chose to, to, to go home for Christmas and not be at altitude, like a lot of the other athletes that, that are performing here and performing well chose to do i mean paul goldberg was in pontresina over the holidays so was about the, the whole norwegian crew like essentially except for everson and 
um, and Holland. I'm not totally sure with Mosby. I don't know if Mosby was back home in Norway or if he stayed at altitude uh, either. But but the rest of the guys I know were at altitude over the holiday break. If you dehydrate yourself, which you will do when you ski 113k like you did that first day, um, you will be dehydrated. It doesn't matter. It's cold too. So like you, you know, yeah, you can try and drink like over a liter an hour, but he's not doing that. Not in Shushin. Not when he's like these loops are massive. You can ski forever. So he's going hours and hours without drinking. So he, he is dehydrating yourself. So what happens? And we won't dive deep into the human physiology because I know I can already just, even though it's a podcast, I can see people's eyes rolling back in their head, like shut up, Kirsch. But what ends up happening is you can have this super compensation after a workout like that, an over distance workout like that. So when you get back and you start eating, but you also, it's mostly like the fluid replacement, you can actually get like a plasma volume boost from workout like that. And that can actually help you. So, so I'll leave it at that. To do it two days in a row in, in the break that you have, that, that just wouldn't make any physiological sense when you're trying to perform ten, at, for 10 case, you know, because like the tour de ski has, like I've said, has been defanged. There's no long races anymore. It's all fast. And what's required of uh, a 10K physiologically is just, there's just no need to do workouts two of those in a row so close to such a big event. So I'll leave it at that. Holland is a beast and with a VO2 max, the likes no one else on the World Cup circuit has, except for Kruger. Those two guys can match. Also, uh, also uh, Ivo Niskanen, his VO2 max is measured like insanely high. So those three guys have the highest VO2 max of the field. And, you know, so he can get away with doing maybe questionable textbook physiology, physiology workouts um, that maybe others couldn't. What I think is really crazy, and, and this is totally an aside, and I understand that you've got to make these choices. And this is why I struggle. I could never do it. I just wasn't, I'm not built like this. I don't think people truly understand to the choices people have to make or not have to, but are deciding to make for something as irrelevant and silly, like skiing fast in a forest in Switzerland. This guy has young children, really young children. He's been gone on the World Cup. He's been worried about sickness and illness because there's been a lot of illness, like in the US, Canada, Norway here, like respiratory illness. He's living like a monk and now it's Christmas break. He's decided that I'm not gonna spend Christmas at altitude like my teammates. I'm gonna go home to my family. His family's sick, so he goes up to his 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 cabin in Shushan. He lives in Nittedal, which is just outside of, of Oslo. And, and he goes up to their family cabin that they own in Shushan. And it's like, see, yeah, like I have a Christmas by myself, no family. I'm like, I'm like FaceTiming my kid. It's Christmas, man. Like I, I have kids, like I'm wrecked. I'm totally exhausted. But Christmas with young kids is like kind of the highlight of my year. Like they are so stoked. Like nothing brings the Christmas spirit like kids. For the holidays and this guy's that like in i mean shushin's got great cross-country skiing don't get me wrong but like the choices these guys have to make is or or, or are choosing to make i should say is not inconsequent it, it's tough to make these choices and like, i mean yeah so you go a little crazy probably and he went out and he smashed a couple a couple big ones emma leverson before we go on to the women's emma leverson like i like not just a knife to his throat like this guy has like get out of jail. He's like, he's like, you, you know, when you're playing monopoly and there's like two get out of jail free cards, like one in chance and one in community chest, this guy ran to like Kinko's 
printed like 1800 of them and has like they're falling out of his sleeves his pockets his drink belt he's like just like there's just get out of jail free cards like falling all over the place how this guy keeps getting chances right now and i love ml and i mean he's going to deliver an overstore in one of those races because they're probably going to use the easy course and he always delivers on the easy course and overstore but the fact of the matter is i agree to be a young racer in norway and see these performances day in day out and he made the choice but I, but again i'm careful to like to um shit on everson for for spending christmas in marocker because he was the other athlete on the norwegian team that did not go to altitude in preparation for the tour de ski but but i have a hard time like harping on him about that because if you're struggling with your confidence it's maybe not like the 0.3 in your hemoglobin you need maybe it's like being with family and friends and turning your mind off and and like trying to enjoy christmas and come to the tour with some energy and he thought he did that and he delivered like a real stinker of a sprint like shockingly bad on a course that should be okay for him uh like really bad and then the 10k classic you're like look at the look at guys like holland kruger he had every chance in the world to hop on these trains and get himself back into the top 10 and it's only 10k it's a, it, it really is a course that's suited there's nothing that that steep on that course it's like kind of nice classic skiing and everson can't do it and he's like he's skiing like a bag of shit like I, for him for him so uh for sure it's uh I, I really feel for him though we talked about this on the on the pod before it's like man a norwegian superstar that's struggling is not a fun place to be because you, you just you can't get away from it so i'm wishing him the best he's going to his best venue his best venue by far in his career is Oberstdorf, and uh, he'll have a good chance here coming up soon. But it's tough. When the best skiers in the world want to go faster, they turn to Fisher's Speedmax Helium system. The all-new Fisher Speedmax boots feature an enhanced carbon cuff to provide optimal torsional stiffness and increased power transfer to the ski. The refined inner shoe provides compelling fit and performance. Are you ready to find out how much faster this World Cup-ready combo will make you next season? Go to fishersports.com to learn more about the Fisher Speedmax Helium system. Let's go to the women. Let's... Yeah, got to talk about women. And now we got to start in the sprint, sadly. We're going to really jump around. You know why. You know why. I'll let you do it. You, tell us what happened in the well, I, what did happen in the sprint? I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the headline of the sprint was... Uh, you know, Jesse Diggins tour favorite, uh, did not qualify. And I'm going to pull up the results here. I think she was like 30, she was 11, 11 seconds out 40th buddy 40th 40th. Yeah. 11.18 seconds out. Um, you know, it sounds basically from the reporting that I could read that she didn't crash. She didn't have fucked up skis or fucked up wax. Like she just had a bad day. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it's worth getting into that much. I, I, you know, I kind of think back to like Olympics 2014 when Keegan Randall was going to win a gold medal in the skate sprint in Sochi and had a bad day and, you know, was out in the semis, I think, if not the quarters and, and the quarters and, you know, like sometimes shit happens, um, and athletes, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I feel really horrendous for Jesse because this is not an opportune time for her to to have things go wrong like this and you know it looked like 
she I, I don't think she um had like a great race today i mean she was like 30th 27th time on the day so like you know she's got to be kind of I, I don't know what she i mean she was in davos uh training during the break and so you know if i'm an american ski fan which i am i'm i'm hoping that maybe she just is coming in with a lot of volume and isn't isn't fully kind of sharp yet um but it it's definitely you know there's some there's some big big question marks about what's going on with with Jesse Diggins after these past couple of days and um you know at, just going back to the sprint i mean it, that uh that was an that was an awesome race another like brilliant performance by Feinberg to to win that race but then like the the competition behind her i i, I know we've talked uh, we've shit talked two lap courses uh but this was like this was a pretty awesome two lap course with that like epic sweeping left hand downhill those like weird rollers toward the bottom and i i just kind of enjoyed every every minute of of watching this race yeah, I agree. I, I think the Valmustair sprint course is, is really fun to watch as a spectator. It's punishing to race. It's incredibly difficult. It, it, you're not getting the sense of that as much, how hard this sprint course is. And I'm a broken record. People that have listened to this for years and years and years know I like to... My definition of a, how hard the sprint course is, is my wife, Kristen Stormerstyra, who is one of the la- worst sprinters of the last 20 years <clears throat> in cross-country skiing has raced in the final in Val Mustaire. So that's how, like, <laughs> talk about, like, the Adumac. Like, they, like I mean, if, if you're in good shape, you can pull one out in, in Mustaire. It's tough. Um, some criticism with the two-lap sprint course, huge criticism was with the qualification because they were having to do it block starts and having two minutes between every group of five. And in the men's field, especially when you have – uh, high 90s like it, it's taking forever so this qualification took almost two hours and <clears throat> i'm exaggerating but it was too long uh and like a lot of criticism for that but at the same time you saw that excitement that we like as a spectator in their heats see those corners you saw the, the some tight corners there like big berms and like you have to be like heads up you have to ski heads up to get through that and not just get through it like you saw with fanatic you also saw with of course Claypool, but like taking tough lines through these corners and generating good speed out of them. And that's hard to do when it's sheer ice and then these big berms. So, you know, they did everything they could to protect the course. So it's kind of like that argument. I'm like, I don't know. I kind of just fall on the fence. It's like, I think they kind of had, I I saw no other choice for them to do it uh, than the way they did. Diggins, I was almost, I had like a whole like, five minute rant with Diggins and we were just going to get inundated with hate mail. Cause like nobody loves Diggins more than people that listen to this podcast and me, like I'm the biggest Diggins cheerleader probably in North America. Like this whole, essentially every podcast we do is like a Diggins appreciation podcast. And I, but when she blasted through the mix zone with her head down and not talking to anybody, I had this whole rant that I was going to like, just unleash about this. Wait, can you explain how- that blasting through the mix zone? Cause I think most, People don't understand what you're saying. Okay. Okay. So, so people that watch the world cup of football, people that have watched every NFL football game or college, any pro sport, any of the big American sports will know there's sideline reporters and win, lose or draw. There's a microphone in the star's face and it's expected that they give their take. And sometimes it's a hot take. Sometimes it's boring and canned and like their eyes are glazed and they're like so pissed or sad that they're like, 
going to say something for 10 seconds. Like, yeah, it was really disappointing. Thanks. Yeah. And then just get out of there really quick, but they're going to say something because that's what being a professional is. And in cross country skiing, if we want to turn this just horrendous situation we have going for us as we're getting torched by every other winter sport, not every other, but too many winter sports, we have bad production, blah, blah, blah. We, we've gone deep in, deep in the weeds on things that cross country skiing needs to kind of wash themselves on. But big star athletes, especially the likes of Diggins that represents like she's so positive and she's also a fan. Like she, she can go on offense too, you know, like, especially she was out quoted talk in Norwegian media, like kind of like chirping Guardiola, like the manager for Manchester city, who's been calling a lot of his football players, soccer players for the last like 10, 15 years. Like, I don't know if he's joking around, but call him a little fat or whatever. Like Diggins has been all over the Norwegian media, like calling him out essentially saying like, don't do that. So she's, she's not afraid to like say what she means. But when you have a day like she had, and it was not just a bad day, like you said, Matt, it was like, this is worrying. I mean, like I was talking to my step, not my step, sorry, my uh, father-in-law and I'm like, yeah, Diggins is going to win this. I mean, it's got that altitude. It's long. You have to be good on the downhills. No one's going to touch Diggins on this. And then she doesn't qualify. Like this is insanely worrying. Um, that said, you kind of got to end like <laughs> you're a pro you're a professional. This is not like a Minnesota cup and you're 15 and you just got to like go into the woods and, and primal roar or cry or whatever. Like you're expected to, you can be short and you don't have to stop for every reporter, but you have to give your take. So I was all ready to go off on this tangent that I just went on, but I was very proud of Diggins because this is the Diggins appreciation podcast. What can we say that she came back around and I uh, not, not back to the mix zone, mind you, but, uh, she did answer reporters in after, like long after, but still she did. And with enough time for them to publish uh, quotes from her, from Diggins herself, not just like a spokesperson or a, a someone from the team. So really, really good props to Diggins for at least understanding that like to be a professional, you do have to answer the tough questions. And she did. And you know what? I would have liked her to like <clears throat> take a, a little bit of time right in the, in the mix zone after the race with those sideline reporters. But if she obviously she's in shock, the overall world cup is gone. That's done in one day, like pff, dusted. Um, and the tour overall is pretty much gone too. And, and, and this is, she was a huge favorite to win the overall and also, or at least not win the overall, but like in the fight for the overall um, world cup and the tour to ski, of course, and uh, man, that, that's a that's a tough it's a tough way to have that go up in smoke with one with your best one of your best events. Ten K skate and skate sprinter are your best events. So uh, that was tough, but really really big props to Diggins for for circling back and, and not just talking to one reporter, but but uh, getting her message out to a number of reporters and different news outlets. Uh, that was really really big of her. So I'm really really impressed with Jesse Diggins for that. That's not easy to do. So. And like you said today, really tough for, for Diggins in the, in the 10K Classic. But I mean, I don't know, man. Like she can have some tough classic races every once in a while. So I didn't read too much into today's race, but for sure 30th in, is not where she needs to be. And I, I'm worried if there's something wrong. Like, uh, I don't know if she's carrying, uh, like, man, she's so good on a venue like this that I'm, I, I just really question, like, is she 100% healthy? Um, does she have like some 
virus or something. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm speculating. This is, I don't know yeah. anything, but it was just like to be 40th in an event like that. And then to follow it up with like a really lackluster um, pancake. Cause remember not doing all the heats is an advantage for the day after. Cause she's just sitting at home chilling. Although she's pissed, like upset. She, she's not having to be nervous and get ready and smash round after round. So I don't know. Tough. I don't know. I, but, I think I think I'd still rather be. Uh, I think I'd still rather be skiing in the rounds rather than yeah, lying of course. in my bed and just yeah, like, yeah crying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've well, and, and Jesse's a pro, but um, I, right. you know, I did. I I I want to come back. Um, I'm I'm sure you weren't done. Um, I'm I'm not quite done either with the no, women's we can, sprint. No, we're um, not done with the women's sprint. Let's let's so, uh, because I, I mean, Fenwick, how awesome is this? Best equipment change in the history of equipment changes. Imagine how many World Cup wins Fedrick would have had if she just skied on Solomon for the last five years. Like, this is crazy. She's unstoppable in the sprints. She looks so good. Hometown win. Oh, she's not from Valmuster. Dario Colonia is, but, but uh, Fedrick's not. But, but uh, still, home country put on a great show. The way she did it with authority. I mean, awesome stuff. And the best last hundred meters of the entire men or women. Ah, Playboy's last hundred meters in the final was something to behold. But Dahlquist, man, yeah, Dahlquist looked, so always awesome. looked in every in every heat. Well, at least in the semifinal, in the final, like she's like, Wait, oh, she's, she's a lucky of, loser, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like she's out of position. This isn't going to happen, and she just delivers the big one on the last the last finishing stretch. So seeing her come second was uh, that's that's a huge 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 result for Dahlquist after having a tough start to the season compared to last year when she was unstoppable. Well, so I wanted to talk about that um, a little bit uh, because I thought, so Dahlquist did that, I think more than once, I think in her quarterfinal heat, yeah. she also came from way, way, like, oh, yeah. you know, you're like, this is over. And you're like, wow, what's happening with my Dahlquist right now. And I, I read, it sounds like she's maybe having some trouble with her breathing at altitude and was not sure if she was going to finish the tour, which was kind of interesting, but just the, and, and I know you spoke to this a little bit, but the, the differences in speed and energy that people were bringing around that crazy left-hand downhill corner, like down and around into the finish it was crazy. And, and I just, I wanted to hear from you a little bit more, uh, a little bit more about that as well. I almost like had queued up, um, Clybo in his, particularly in his quarterfinal, but then also in, in the final, um, you saw a few other guys, I think, and, and maybe a few of the women in the sprint taking this line where they, most of the, the skiers. So, so this was a, for folks who didn't watch, this was like a big wide sweeping left-hand downhill corner where they had a lot of speed and then you, you came out of the left and then back into a right. And so a lot of folks were most, almost all folks were sliding around this corner and scrubbing speed. Clybo's first heat, the quarterfinal, you watch like everybody is kind of lining up to like, take this like tight turn around this left-hand bend and like Clybo just like like he he just sort of stays like he's just stays in a straight track and he goes all the way to the right he goes over the berm and and it just accelerates all the way around the corner comes down to the bottom and like goes past everyone in his heat like they're standing still and and then the thing that shocks me about that because we know that Clybo is like probably the best corner in in the circuit right now, if not like in fucking history, I just want to know, like all these teams have to have people 
stationed like at the bottom of that corner with poles, right? In, in case someone crashes or whatever. Um, and, and what Clybo is doing on that corner, like you do see a couple of, I think Pellegrino follows that line in the final two. Um, but, but it's shocking to me because there's nothing about that line that Clybo is taking that like there are things that he can do physiologically that other athletes can't do, but like going wide and stepping around a corner is not one of them. Like, I think I could probably do that. And so like, I'm just like, why doesn't, what, what, why, when you watch someone do something way better than you and generate way more speed, like, why don't we see everyone else doing that? It's a great question. It's a, it's a super great question. I think the only real answer is that like becomes I, I, what you're not seeing as a viewer is that long, gradual, the start of the start of the sprint is like a long, gradual section, gradual uphill into like a fairly steep wall and then kind of like a gradual uphill to the corner you're speaking of. So people are getting to that descent shattered. They look great because of the best skiers in the world and they're the best sprinters in the world. So you're kind of expecting that they're like, oh yeah, they're, they've got their wherewithal to like make smart choices. Now they're thinking about how to carry as much speed as, but they're not men. Most people are coming to that downhill and like either in like tunnel vision, following the guy in front of them and just doing whatever they're doing. If you're in the sprint where, where space is limited, or you're just kind of like that, that berm is scary. I've raced there a number of times. It's sheer ice. And then you have a berm and no one can see what I'm doing with my hands because it's a podcast. But like, let's say you've got like, it's over a foot. It's way over a foot. It's probably like a foot and a half of like sugar, but with ice. It's it's like and it's super almost sketchy. like hamburger, right? Yeah, yeah like, for sure. Exactly. Because you're saying you the way you it. described it, you did a great job describing this corner because you have this left hand corner and then it falls away into like, you have this sharp left and then it falls steep and like really steep. And then into this like really awkward, not, not built up, not banked, but like tight right-hander. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult corner on cross-country skis to, to execute, especially when it's icy. And it was really icy uh, here in Valmustair with the low snow situation. So I think Clay was just getting there first, to, first and foremost, like just like with, a, with not shattered. So, but two, the fact that he has, and why do I say that? Because like you said, it's not just a matter of like, yeah, and then he steps over the berm and he's just like three inches from the banners because that's what he is on the right, like you described it. And then he's just doing it like casually. Like it's not just, I just step over this berm without eating total shit, busting all my poles and then getting my binding stuck in the banners. Like that's what mo would happen with most people on shattered legs. Um so, so I just think it's incredible to see that the wherewithal, but I agree with you. I thought it was really cool to see that Pellegrino picked up on that. And in the final also went wide like that. And you saw the speed that they carried out of those corners. And then also Pellegrino's last corner, he, then he made a little mistake. I thought, but also smart. It's kind of like he takes a tight line in that final on the last corner. Cause is also like a left-hander into the finishing straight. And he takes it tight, but then starts drifting a little bit, kind of like, so he's like, I'm not going to get past on the inside. That's rule number one in sprinting. And anyone that does that, I think I've probably talked on the podcast about, but you're like, you're done. Like if I'm your coach and you get passed on the inside for the last hundred meter sprint to the finish line, like I'm going to rip a strip off you because you can't do that. Like you just can't do it. And Pellegrino knows that. So he, he took control of that inside to not let Claybo sneak on the like, shorter line 
And then he even drifted, which is also crazy smart and, and like kind of like pressing him out. So Claybo had to go like really wide, but Claybo just wanted that sprint so bad and wanted like the revenge so bad that he just blew the doors off Pellegrino. And we all know we saw in Davos how good Pellegrino is in the last hundred meters these days, but, but Claybo was just not going to be denied in, in, in the men's sprint. Well, but in, so, in, interesting stuff. So it's so it's a, so that's that's my that's my response to that. But I agree with you. I agree with you. And these guys are pros, and they have to be playing heads up. And after seeing this, they should have known this in the qualifier because Claybo is doing this in the qualifier to, to generate all the speed. It's all filmed. Um, watch the tape, and the sprint coaches and uh, and the coaches out there have to be delivering this to the athletes. And the fact that they weren't practicing this, obviously. And not enough of them right. were or not not enough of them were confident enough to be doing this the day before when the stakes are zero um isn't good enough and they're getting <clears throat> they're getting smacked with their bad decisions and Claybo is making them look like chumps so hats off to Pellegrino for for making the adjustment and of course hats off to, to Claybo because he's making it look easy other thing too Paul Goldberg was doing that a little bit too and especially mm-hmm. in the distance yep. race today and the distance race today on classic skis, that's really impressive. So, so some guys were like learning, but it's if, like, anyway. But if you're doing that, I, I will say like, I mean, and, and Andrew Casting was saying this on the uh, Ski and Snowboard Live broadcast today, made a really good point, which is like, if you're, if you're stepping that corner and not sliding it, especially like on a clister day like this, like you're keeping the wax on your skis a lot better too. So, I mean, that maybe a little more of an imperative. I wanted to, I, I also wanted to talk about one other thing um, with this, men's sprint race i'm sure there's there's a little bit more to say um about the whole thing but uh just between um between Clybo and pellegrino like i you know you watch them kind of have this showdown to the finish line just like they did two weeks ago in davos where pellegrino won this completely storybook victory and i wonder what you kind of made of that finish because i i kind of saw like you see as these guys are coming to the line and Clybo, it's clear that that he has the win sealed he kind of like takes this a little what looked to me like a little bit of like a cold look over to pellegrino like yep i just i just fucking won this this is my race we know who's boss again but I couldn't really tell. And then like, it was funny because like, he kind of shot that look over and then like, they both come across the line and slow down and Pellegrino like immediately is like up behind Clybo, like throwing an arm over his shoulder and like congratulating him, which like, I, you know, I just, I think it's all, I also think this is the other thing that I observe, which is uh, like, I know Clybo has taken some shit for not being more emotive and not celebrating. Like, I think there were literal newspaper articles about him earlier this year. Like Ostradoyer Slind was like, dude, come on. Like you're winning ski races. Um, one of my friends pointed out he's, he's, I think he's won literally like half of the ski races that he's entered in his career, which is insane. That being said, like it is getting to me a little bit where I'm, I guess I don't have an expectation or demand that he needs to emote, but I really question, like, do we think this dude is like even really having fun at this point? Because I don't know. I mean, I just see Pellegrino, like Pellegrino and Scar, like those guys are like pumped to finish second and third and Clybo wins a race and he's just like, yeah, I did it again. Cool. And, and I, I mean, I get it. Like that's kind of the expectations he's built up for himself, 
Um, you know, he's 26. He's a superstar. He's kind of done everything there already is to do, but I'm just like, I don't, I don't see that guy being motivated to race like eight more years, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just sort of like, maybe this is his, his style and, and maybe he's actually having a really great time and feeling really fulfilled out of winning races and just keeping it all inside or telling his therapist. I don't know. Yeah, that that's funny. I caught that look too, but I actually, I think that, I think that really tells a deeper story of like the competitor that is Johannes. Like he's not, he's not satisfied just being good. And like you said, you know what the other crazy stat was before Clavo stat you just brought to the table were winning half the world cups or like international world cup Olympic or world championship races that he started is that the stat before him was Bjorn Dali winning over one third of every start he ever did, which was just so bonkers before Johannes came online that it was like, hard to like fathom from the in the men's field like this is just so stupid that Bjorn Dali wins that many uh races that he enters and Claybo is like nope I'll, you think that's impressive how about 50 percent you know it's it is crazy but that look <clears throat> it was fleeting but it really was like almost like it's not a nod to Petter because Petter would have made this like a whole big thing in the lead up and then done something silly in the end. I mean, like, oh, it would have been like big news for the next like year. And then we'd watch YouTube clips of him doing it again in slow-mo and like memes and stuff. You're not going to get that with what we saw with Claybo, but like it meant a lot to him, man. It meant a lot to him to blow the doors off Pellegrino. And he, he got some flack in the Norwegian media by being pretty cocky and is saying, it's like, I wanted to be a sprint finish because I wanted to show Pellegrino that like, don't like, yeah. You're trying to be what like to quote Dr. Dre. What does he say? Like you're trying to be the king, but the ace is back. Like that's the that's the that's what Claybo was really doing. And I I like to see that. I thought it was cool. But you're right. Like then we cross his finish line. It's kind of like Iceman again. But I mean, <clears throat> hard to say. But I thought, uh, yeah, Pellegrino is Italian. So and then Scar. Like this was just such a huge podium for Scar. I mean, of course he's grabbing champagne and popping it all over. I mean, this is a huge deal for him. But like Novak again in fourth. Shanova put up an amazing uh, 1, 1.25 laps of that sprint course and then just completely came undone. He was grabbing his, his uh, shins and at the end in some interviews, in French interviews, he was saying that he he's, that felt like he was struggling almost with like a compartment syndrome style cramps in his, in his shins at, at the end there. Hard to say, it was really difficult conditions. And with those corners and it being icy, you're kind of like on edge and it's hard to relax your feet and your boots and like really flow. And he's such a beautiful technician also, like his one skate is outstanding. Uh, so you don't really see that, but uh, maybe he's a little too tense. But anyway, I thought it, was a, thought it was a great sprint from the men's side of things. I thought it was really tough to see Ben Ogden make such a rookie mistake. What are you doing, man, with your poles? Like breaking his pole like talk about a quarterfinal for the ages. I mean, like kid breaks his pole in the world cup and qualifies fourth, which is just outstanding. Then he busts his pole in the first, like two meters, like uh, from the start gate and comes back and is like a sneeze away from getting through. Like he had to wait. It was like a hundred. They had to go to like the hundredth of a second to see if he was going to get a lucky loser spot or not. And, and he didn't, he fell on the wrong side of it. So it was amazing heat by him. He, he caught, like, he caught back up in like, yeah two seconds i know it's insane but but the thing that like dude i know you're young so we're not gonna harp on you too bad but please god watch the video ben 
watch where you put your poles, watch how start gates open, watch how your pole got busted, and then watch how Claybo starts, watch how uh, Pellegrino starts, watch how Goldberg starts, watch how like some of these sprinters Shanava, that have been like in the game for a long time and like are always in the final essentially, and just watch where they're placing and the angles and like how their poles are with start gates. Because that was sometimes poles break. Like I mean, you stick them between your legs if you're hop skating or or someone clips you from behind. This is like nothing you can do. You know what I mean? This was this was completely avoidable and completely Ogden's own fault. And it, it was it was just like it was a kind of rookie mistake. I got to say. Wait, can and you that, explain that? that? I, I was wondering about that. I mean, I, he, and he made a reference to this being like a dumb mistake that sh- that will only happen once. But like, what actually did? Like, what did he do? Did the yeah? Well, you just go like it's hard. This is really kind of hard to describe. Okay, well, we don't, we don't have. But to but, but no, but I, but no, but I can get into it like just quickly. Like the, the yeah. long story. The long story short of it is like you've got to be really so. So in sprints, you have start gates right that open, and and poles like these these new poles like the the top of the line poles are insanely stiff when you when you load them vertically it's crazy like how much power you can bring into them but their side their strength with any sort of like force coming in from the side is actually like fairly weak right considering because they're crazy light like i don't know people that don't have top of the line poles just go into a sports store and look at the price barf into a bag because it's so expensive and then pick them up and you can't believe how light these things are um, and if you just go back, if you want to like go back and see where, where Ogden like places his poles in relation to the start gate, like as he's lining up, you're like, oh my God, dude, you are playing with and then it breaks. And you're like, yeah, like, like the start with- gate literally just <clears throat> yeah. whacks it. And is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you, you see, this can't happen. You just yeah. like, you, you, like, this is a rookie, rookie mistake. Right. And Ben is seventh in the spring cup. He's having the season of his life. It's awesome. It's so fun. And that was a missed opportunity because like his quarterfinal was, was amazing. was awesome. And, and like, we got to cover the women's 10 K a little bit. So I'm just going to blast through the other like notables of the women's sprint. Kern, Julie Kern still delivering really sad to see her Biffid in her semifinal. Cause it would have been fun to see what she could have done, but still another semifinal, really solid outing like Anishish Calvo in the sprint final. That was amazing until you realize that Kristen Stormer-Styra has been in the sprint final in Val Mustaire. And you're like, okay, if you're in good shape, you're in good shape. Uh, the Wang twins were, were great. And then Frida Carlson in the final too. Like that, that is a, this added insult to injury for the Diggins fiasco. Because like when you have Tyrell in this Wang, who's the overall World Cup leader, <clears throat> and she delivers another knockout sprint coming forth. And then Frida Carlson is in fifth who is your who is who what before diggins fiasco uh weekend was her number one competitor for this tour yeah it, it's it's tough so let's let's just quickly get through the 10k um, and then we'll call it good really got a lot of other races yeah but really quickly we do also have to uh um marta rosenberg i think 20 year old yes. swede first ever world cup qualifies third she she kind awesome. of was out in the quarters but like just, you know, in the event that you thought that Sweden was a little thin in the women's sprinting uh, talent yeah. category, um, yeah. but yeah, you're wrong. Just yeah. a little Second note, in yeah. world juniors last year and like such a really exciting young athlete to follow from Sweden. It seems like they're just a never ending uh, yeah. stable of young super champs on the women's side. But I think it's so exciting. I, I read some interviews, I actually saw an interview with her too um she's just so excited to be there she loves the opportunity I, I i love those stories i just think it's 
it's it's uh it's really really fun to follow along with uh some of these young guns that are just so thrilled for the opportunity it's it, and then delivering like they're doing it's it's really cool yeah so women women's 10k um yeah take us through that <laughs> yeah well i'm gonna take you through it kind of quickly i loved it but we've spent a lot of time going through a lot of other different stuff and um you know through the ski comes fast we're going to be back here in a couple of days talking about overstork so i don't want to bore people too mad too badly but this was so cool to see Thierry Lunesvang, the overall World Cup leader, take her first win. The season that she's delivering here is just outstanding. And the heat that the Norwegian women's team was taking in the media in Sweden and Norway about how after Tereza retired, like this is a wasteland, like it's going to be 10 years before someone else comes and takes on the, takes the baton and like, are we just going to get demoed by everyone else? And like, no. They have been so good, especially Anna Schusti-Calvo and, and Thierry Lundsvang. Of course, her sister Lotte has been great here too and a whole number of others. But like to see Thierry ski a tactically perfect race, letting Frida Carlson do the line and share of the work. And she's, don't be fooled, like Thierry was on the ropes, man. Like she was on fumes on that last lap. She was borderline shattered. Uh, Anna Schusti made it all the way in and was just too shattered to do anything in that run up was really tough. She gets fourth. She's had so many fourth places this year already, but again, you got to look back through the history and be like for the 30 year old to be in the top five, almost every weekend for Anna Shirsty. Like this is so cool to see. She's finally getting the opportunity. She's delivering week in, week out, but seeing Tyrell do what she did today was amazing. Niskanen coming back, like making up so much time quickly skiing like a total champ. Cool to see your brother. We didn't talk about Evo much, but he's coming off Corona. It was his first race of the season. And a, and a new child. Yeah, and a new child. And you just saw that he just wasn't at his, at his top top game. That's 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 to be expected. I thought Rosie uh, had a solid looked race. Great. Yeah, she, I thought she looked great. She was really great in her teeth, and like she's sitting seventh. This, this is a this is a great start to the tour for for or maybe not great. Like I don't need to oversell it, but it's a solid start to the tour for Rosie. Uh, Henning had another just knockout classic race. She looks so good. So she has definitely not lost anything. And then Heidi Wang, who we talked about Emily Iverson, like losing all his sprint prowess. I know what that feels like. And it makes no sense. Cause that was me. Like, dude, I would win qualifiers in the world cup in sprints. And in the tail end of my career, it's not like I didn't want to be good in sprinting. And I'd be like, 75th man i like i literally couldn't sprint a qualifier to save my life i made no it's still to this day and what i'm learning in school and like it it makes no sense to me i have no idea how i got so shitty in a sprint qualifier heidi wang is one of these people 51st or whatever 53rd whatever she was in the sprint qualifier like i think she was 53rd and like total shit and heidi wang has like so many podiums in sprints it's crazy on the world cup and now she cannot sprint whatsoever and charges up to eighth man what a classic race for Heidi Wang! like that was that was something to behold that was insane that was yeah. the race that was crazy and she looked great too man like she's been back in norway too she wasn't at altitude over the over the break either so it was uh but but she's done that before in the tour even the years that she's she's been really good in the tour to ski she's she likes having christmas at home and she prioritizes that and it's never really cost her much. She's a, an, a one of those other like super high VO2 max kind of freaks of nature can get away with a lot. But I thought her classic race today was, or sorry, yesterday was uh, like, man, oh man, that was something else. 
Yeah. And, and, um, you know, the, the, just the, like the way that the race played out overall with like, find like, uh, leading it out for the first few kilometers. And then, you know, you had Carlson who kind of took a little bit of, of shit, uh, from, you know, the peanut gallery for like leading out the race and then, you know, getting dusted in, in the sprint by, um, by Wang. But, uh, it just, it was, it was, you know, women, women are, delivering continuing to deliver really awesome races on the world cup so um more more to look forward to i mean the, the as now um <clears throat> you know i don't think pellegrino is going to be a huge threat up alp chermis but uh you know the the overall tour standings are remain pretty tight and uh and so i'm yeah i'm definitely looking forward to watching some racing in oberstorf no, no, me too. I mean, uh, one last thing for the women's race is like uh, KSJ again, Catherine Stewart Jones, 25th, moved up like 21 spots. Like it was awesome. So hats off, another great performance by, by Catherine. She's been so solid. So that, that's good. Um, but yeah, I agree. The, the tour standings are tight. I'm Oberstorf, it's going to be warm, man. Like it, it, we're all like Central Europe is struggling with snow. I don't know. This is a topic for another time, but like you know, I think it's time to, I think we kind of have to start looking at like racing at higher altitudes. I think that that altitude limit of 1800 meters has to be revisited because if we're going to have cross country skiing in central Europe, like it's, it's, it's tough to put these together. Um, probably going to use the easy course in Overstorf, which is too bad because the world championship courses are beastly. And the easy course that they've used at the tour the last number of years is like, I don't know, nothing happens. Like you can't get any distance and I don't know, but that's good because he's going to keep the, keep the race tight and going into Valdefiam most likely and yeah. lots of great storylines. So maybe we've convinced you Nat. maybe after this hour five, we've talked here, you're coming around, you're getting a little excited for the tour. We'll see. We'll, just well that's, see I mean, plays out. It, it's a little unfair because like, you know, you're living in Europe, you speak a Scandinavian language. Like you can just kind of like bathe in this nonstop media no, coverage. And, and for it's us, true. it's like, we get it's like, a wasteland. Yeah. We get 30 minutes and then, and then that's it. Um, yeah. Uh, I did also want to make one more plug. I mean, I know we should talk about that. Maybe, maybe we get Bill McKibben to come on and, and talk about the, the future of skiing in in plus five degrees Celsius or whatever we're going to get to, which we're not going to get to that. But I do just, I actually feel like I really want to validate Alaska right now because we have four feet of snow on the ground. Like you can't drive anywhere because <laughs> they like fuck completely like fucked up with the plowing when it all came down. <laughs> they're like, they're like political like mailers and, and video is getting posted online about like how shitty the snow plowing is, but it is like full on midwinter hero skiing at King awesome. Park and on the Anchorage hillside. And it is just like, if you, you know, if you want to contribute to the problem by getting on an airplane, uh, but finding, but find some really good snow, uh, get your ass over here. I've got a couple spare rooms, um, yeah. open to podcast listeners. So Lillehammer too, man, like Lillehammer, Norway last year, we had a tough winter, but it was still fine skiing all winter in Lillehammer, but, uh, we had kind of a slow start to the season this year. And I was kind of grumbling cause you know, I'm a dork. I I mean, I love backcountry skiing. That's where my heart really is. But I, I can, I can admit just between you and me that I still like getting out for a Nordic ski every day I can. And uh, Lillehammer's all time right now too. I mean, we just got pounded with snow over the holidays. I mean, a couple feet fell, and everything is just total lights out, outstanding conditions for 
for Nerdic if uh, that's what you're into. So there's some places with great conditions, that's for sure. So we're both lucky to, to be in those places. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 